Blog Talk Radio. Om Shabbat Shalom, Holy Way of the Most High. Om Shabbat Shalom, I sense your presence. Om Shabbat Shalom, Holy Way of the Most High. Om Shabbat Shalom, I sense your presence. And I am the light within your soul In the essence of truth and right Love makes the circle whole And here we stand in line Waiting for some sacred sign But to find the balance is the purpose of this time to restore the balance of the universal mind And in the presence of my Lord of light and love Everything I see aspiring to be free And when I call to thee And come on bending knee Surrender to the all-pervading light and love Reflections of the one surrounding me with love And I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence Within and without, above and below, yeah. East, west, north, and south, I sense your presence. Without and within, below and above, yeah, yeah. East, west, north, and south, I sense your presence. I sense your presence. Surrounding me with love 
For to find a balance is the purpose of this time To restore the balance of the universal mind I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence Joining me here on Activating Compassion Radio. My name is Jeffrey M. George, and I'm your host of today. The music you were listening to at the beginning of your show, at the beginning of my show, actually, is by Sense Your Presence, our show. Let's say that. Uh, it's by Shemsha, and a great little musical uh, ensemble that I connected with in Sedona, Arizona, many, many years ago, which I just passed through over the last uh, couple of weeks here. And I just want to extend a welcome to everybody, whether you're joining us for the very first time or whether you're returning because you've listened to the show and you like what we do here and you came back to see what we're doing tonight. We are streaming live in three additional places. I want to say hello to everybody there as well. Top Stream Live, Stream Finder, and Ten, also known as Terror Encounters Network, as well as everybody listening through our podcast at TuneIn.com, iTunes, and also through the YouTube version of the show. Here at Activating Compassion Radio, I look at the different ways that compassion exists in our lives, how to bring those lots of resistances, frustrations, and more. And some weeks I'm discussing different aspects of how compassion is in our life, how it affects our life, and the different areas of compassion. Also, some weeks I'm doing more exercises and practical implementations. If you like those types of things, you're going to want to stay tuned over the next couple of weeks because I'm going to be bringing in all kinds of messages and meditations over the next couple of weeks. And then also it's guests on the show many times, like tonight, there's no exception to that, and they share their work and how, that way you get a chance to know how other things work with and complement compassion. Uh, nice guest definitely is one of those great guests, um, uh, that is Maria Riker-Kong, and she's actually been with us before, so I know you're really going to enjoy her work, we're going to be addressing something different than we did in the past, so stay tuned for that. And then also I highlight different musical artists along the way. I've had Stephen Halpern, Peter Cater on the show, both Grammy nominees, as well as Joe Mapson, Claire Hedin, Bruce Chicarelli, Craig Corollas, Phil Grandstaff Moses, and also some uh, pieces from uh, Sam Whip Bear, who I met with also while I was in Arizona recently. So some very cool people coming through our venues, and uh, we'll be highlighting some of their music as well in the next couple of weeks. In my own work, what I do is focus on helping people find and use compassion in their everyday lives. 
I've created the Genesis Hearing Statement, and if you've missed that, you can catch it in our archives, as well as through where other people have interviewed me, which you can locate on my website, jessianmichelsgeorge1.com. I have also authored four books, the most recently, You, Me, Life Dreams, and its companion workbook, as well as my first two books, Activating Compassion and its companion workbook. In addition, I've created the Compassion Tour, which is a multi-state nationwide tour, including workshops, seminars, six signings events, and fundraising events. And you can follow all those through my website as well. Matter of fact, we still have one event left for the 2014 tour. It's coming up on the weekend of the 20th and 21st at Zion National Park. And I've already started booking and setting dates for the 2015 tour, starting off with a venue in Bonneville, California, and that is at Ascension. That's going to be there January 4th. It's a Sunday afternoon. There's going to be a lot getting added very quickly here. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you enjoy the show tonight, make certain you share it with your friends, your family, you know, all those great Facebook connections and social media connections you have out there, you all I always find when I share my shows that there's somebody that goes, oh, my gosh, I just needed this. I was just talking to this. I know somebody who deals with this. And you may be changing a lot just by simply clicking that share button. I seem to do it every week. It makes a difference in somebody's life. And they can just use the same link that you use to get into our live show, and then they can listen to it at their convenience um, with that. So. Also on my uh, page of the Main Street Universe tab on my website, you'll find all the archive shows there. In addition, again, they can catch the podcast at iTunes and TuneIn.com, as well as on my YouTube channel. Now, before we get started, every week, those that have listened in before, you know I like to delve into a little book called The 72 Names of God by Yehuda Bird, and Yehuda is a Kabbalah master. So the thing I like, though, about his work is that he deals in bringing the big concepts into everyday language. And that, I find, is really useful because when we can implement it into our everyday lives, we're going to take advantage of it. We're going to use it. We're going to uh, have it work for us as a result of that. So let's see what he's got for us this week. And that message is about self-esteem. Okay, that's the common name that he's used here. And the uh, preliminary message he has is... Instead of surrendering to our fate, our fate, excuse me, to rabbis, priests, medicine men, doctors, lawyers, or other consultants, the 72 names in this name in particular empower us to establish our own connection to the life and thus to solve our own problems. This is the original self-help technology. And the insight he gives on this is, when the souls of humanity were created, they inherited the DNA of their creator. According to the sages, this God gene in our soul until we activate it through the technology of Kabbalah. It then becomes unleashed in direct proportion to our personal transformation and ascension of the spiritual ladder. Ultimately, we have the power within us to resolve all our troubles. You see, God does not really answer our prayers. We do. As we grow, transform, elevate, and evolve, Spiritually, by confronting our own chaos head on, not fleeing from it by escapism or pseudo spirituality, our own spark of divinity and godliness limits with ever increasing brilliance. It is enough. It always has been. And the meditation against her does this, but the divine energy of this sequence of letters, 
you are connected to the power of the ancient high priest of the temple in Jerusalem to heal and establish wellness in all areas of life. And again, the common name here tonight is self-esteem, and the formal name, simple as good, absolutely fun, <laughs> is hey, hey, hey. So just think of that, you know, when you're feeling a little down, you're struggling a little bit, just sit there and go, hey, 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 and you've got it. And that will bring in some really amazing energy, connect you with your God self, and open a few doors for you. So as we move on here on the show, I've got a little thought here because I do want to get to our guest tonight, um, but I want to do a little thought here before we go on break and give you a little something to think about. Are we living in a diagnosis society? Do we rely so much on what others tell us and think of us, overly focused on our dysfunction? Have we become, as a society, so complacent in our processes and personal responsibility that we have to have excuses and reasons for how we are? Okay, I started this week off with some pretty big questions to contemplate here. Uh, However, more and more, I do see us living in what I would call a cold society. We want the quickest, easiest, most hands-off approach in taking care of ourselves. There is a desire to just get the pill, and that can easily include a spiritual process, affirmation, body work, etc., and just lay back and not do anything. A sort of fix me and fix it for me attitude and do it now. Now, before I get too many people fired up, <laughs> I do feel that there's a place for some of this. First, I would say that we oftentimes find terms and diagnosis so that we can understand things that are happening to us. And then in that understanding, we are able to become more proactive. As for the so-called pills, I will be honest. I am not one that is prone to physical pills. However, here again, sometimes there is a place, for example, sometimes we have get the symptoms quieted down enough to be able to take care of the problem. Still, the key being that we actually get proactive on the problem. I've seen many people go through their lives with challenges and struggles in daily life. And as we have seen the star seed groupings, for example, such as the indigos or upcoming rainbow children come through, we are seeing more that are being diagnosed as ADHD, autistic, dyslexic, and so on. Now, I could probably speak for a week or, I don't know, at least many hours <laughs> on the energetic aspects of this and the contribution that companies like Monsanto may play in those ten trails and all the other pieces that are a part of this. Yet, at some point, we need to take a look at it and say, what are we going to do to help them work through this? Hopefully, earlier in their childhood than after years of struggling as an adult. Now, the extreme sensitivities that these children have energetically are also manifesting in various physical aspects. Maria Reichert-Hong is one mother and now author on the topic that has delved into getting to the answers to make a difference. Her work focusing on what is known as sensory processing disorder, which she also refers to as almost autism. The background in nutrition has been a huge asset in working with those that are faced with the challenges of the symptoms of these so-called disorders. Now, many today don't like the word dysfunction or disorder. However, disorder may still be appropriate in that things are out of balance or out of order, 
which leads to chaotic outbreaks. And even though I believe we all deal with this on some level in some way, even if it isn't specific to these particular things, I know of many that don't deal well with some of life's basic communication skills or are challenged by clouds or are hypersensitive to smell, taste, sound, touch. I've known those that felt pain brushing their hair and having it cut. Now, again, there is a fine line between what is part of the energetic grouping of souls born into the planet, such as the indigos. However, my sense is like most of things in life, there is a blend of things happening here. Imagine being sensitive intuitively, emotionally, mentally, and physically. Imagine how your senses work and then have them magnified a hundred times over. This is where the people that are dealing with things like sensory processing disorder are at. As a result, they tend to either repel the sense, freak out with it, or indulge in it in a sort of addictive style or addictive level of it. This is yet another example of why it is so important for us to bring in the factors of nutrition, meditation, and a whole other array of alternative options. While a pill might be easy, it will not give the extra needed aspects of self-confidence, coping skills, and understanding that empowers those that are dealing with such things. They want to understand and know how to adjust themselves. In this process, they are likely to bring together solutions and options for doing things and taking care of ourselves into society. Have you dealt with hypersensitivity in some area of your life? Do you, do you ever think that difficulty being in crowds might be able to be eased through nutrition? How many times have you felt you were or thought someone else was stupid because they couldn't do something basic related to taking care of themselves or communicating with others? This week we are focusing, or I should say our guest is focusing on a component of compassion that's related to the aspect of my book self, the hidden enemy. This reminds us that when we are busy judging others and labeling them, we miss the gifts that they bring into this world, as well as the understanding for what they truly need. In other words, we are treating the symptoms and not looking at the real disease that is happening. I'm going to take a little break, and when we return, I will have Maria Reichert along with us, and she's going to be sharing her work with almost autism. The song I have for you during our break is called I Am Spinning. It's by Claire Hedin, and you can definitely check out more of Claire's work at her website, www.clairehedin.com, and that's C-L-A-R-E-H-E-D-I-N.com. We'll be back soon. Oh, 
And welcome back. You are listening to Activating Compassion Radio. My name is Jessie Ann Nichols-George, and I am your host today. You were just listening to a song by Claire Hadeen called I Am Spinning. And you can definitely check out more of Claire's work because she's got a lot of amazing music going on at www.clairehadeen.com. That's D-L-A-R-E-H-E-D-I-N.com. And I'd like to bring on my guest this evening, Maria Reichert-Tong. She is a board member for the nonprofit organization Epidemic Answers, which focuses on helping parents recover their children from chronic illnesses like autism, ADHD, SPD, which is sensory processing disorder, allergies, asthma, ah, that was a tongue twister for me, asthma, acid reflux, chronic ear infection, OCD, lupus, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune, autoimmune disorders. Maria is also the media director for Documenting Hope and has authored the book Almost Autism, which focuses on recovering from autism. And we're going to take a look at her work with autism tonight and her organization, Documenting Hope, um, that she's working with. And you can also reach Maria through her website at www.mariabreichertong.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-R-I-C-K. E-R-T-H-O-N-G dot com. And some of you might remember Maria actually from about two years ago when I had her on the show and she was sharing with us nutrition tips, which, by the way, she has, I believe it's a cookbook out um, that you can check into as well. So, Maria, welcome to Activating Compassion Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. I, I love it. And, you know, it was such a pleasure to be able to connect with you while I was in Connecticut on tour mm-hmm. and to spend a little time sharing with you. And the time just moved by so fast <laughs> while I was there. Yeah. Yeah. But I would love, because not everybody that's listening today will have listened to our show that we did together two years ago on you. Um, and we're covering different topics here tonight. But I would love for you to give some background about. You know, who, who's Maria, and how did we get into the sensory processing disorder and autism work, and where did all of that come from? Mm-hmm. How did I get into it? Yeah, <laughs> kicking and screaming. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got into this um, nine, little over nine years ago when my older son was born, and I didn't know that he was going to end up like this. Um, he had a whole host of health issues, beginning with projectile vomiting and colic and acid reflux. Um, It would, you know, he'd he'd nurse, and then he would throw it all up. Or when he started on solid food, it would take him an hour to eat, very little, and then he'd throw it all up. He had asthma. He had ear infections. He was hypotonia. He had hypotonia. That means he had low muscle tone, very floppy baby. Um, He didn't walk until he was... 20 months old. He was failure to thrive, meaning he went from the 30, 40th percentile of weight to the third percentile. He actually lost weight when he was a baby. Um, I'm throwing up red flags left and right to the doctors all the time saying something's wrong with this child. They're like, don't worry about it. He's fine. He'll grow out of it. Meanwhile, they gave me yeah, real life. Don't worry about the vomiting, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. And the antibiotics. And um, then later he developed asthma, so he had 
he was on Zofinex and a nebulizer and uh, prednisone and an inhaler. Um, and you know, then when his when his uh, younger brother was about a year old, uh, the woman who was helping me take care of the two of them left to have her own baby, and that's when I really realized that. Um, something was really, really wrong with him because not only did he have all those problems, but he also had sensory issues. So for him, he was a sensory avoider. Um, lights were too bright, sounds were too loud, motions were too much for him, uh, and it really affected everything, and nobody seemed to know what to do. The doctors didn't know, allergists didn't know, the gastroenterologists didn't know. You know, nobody could really help me. And it was one day when he was at preschool, he was three years old, and he would, before he'd go to preschool, he would talk to me at home all the time. This kid had a thousand-word vocabulary by the time that he turned two years old. He could speak, and he could say, like, big, long sentences, but he would go to preschool when he was three, and he wouldn't talk. So the teachers asked me, uh, if they, you know, they sort of suspected that he might have autism. I'm like, no, he talks. He's, you know, he's fine at home, but at school he wouldn't talk. And then one day at school, it was like a really dark, uh, rainy day. The storm had come through, and he got really, really upset because he thought it was nighttime, and I hadn't come to pick him up. And he got really, really upset, and he just couldn't stop. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's just weird. <laughs> Something's wrong. And so I really put my foot down with his pediatrician, I'm like, you need to help me find answers and, you know, I'm tired of being blown off and, you know, help me. So she sent me to a developmental, uh, I'm trying to remember, psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm trying to remember exactly what her um, title was, but she suspected that he had sensory processing disorder and she sent me on to an occupational therapist who then diagnosed him with that and he was significantly affected with sensory processing disorder. So I'm like, okay, now I've got an answer. Um, he, you know, he worked with her for a while, worked with um, another occupational therapist for a while, and, you know, some of it, they had some answers and some pieces to the puzzle, but not all of them. And so I just kept digging and digging and digging, like, why is this happening? Nobody seems to be wanting to know why. And I finally latched on to the work of Dr. Kenneth Bach, and he had written a book uh, a few years ago called Healing the New Childhood Epidemics, um, that what he calls the 4A disorders. So he looks at things from allergies, asthma, ADHD, and autism as a continual spectrum. And he looks at it from the root dysfunction. I'm like, oh, that really makes sense. And I'd heard about kids recovering from autism, and I'm like, what about sensory processing disorder? That's kind of similar, and most kids with autism have sensory processing disorder, but not all children with sensory processing disorder have autism. But, so I started looking at it that way, and in the in the meantime, we had also started seeing a nature path for my son, because I had started seeing one for myself for my own health issues, and then took my son when he was four because of the asthma and he suggested cutting out dairy, and lo and behold, <laughs> it helped with the asthma, it helped with the acid reflux, he didn't need to be on his privacy. I'm like, are you kidding me? Nobody even mentioned <laughs> anything about food or diet or anything at all. So that Seems began like such a, a whole a simple other... thing to hone in on. 
I know. It seems like right? such a simple thing, like, yeah. you know, cut out dairy. <laughs> Especially when, you know, a gastroenterologist, because what is that about? It's about digesting food. So you would think that food would be a common suspect for any kind of gastrointestinal distress. But no, it, they're not trained in it, so therefore it doesn't exist to them. So that's when I, you know, really, really, really started my investigation, and I found out, and I sort of followed along with Dr. what Dr. Bach was saying. So he was saying that um, there are core issues that are at the base of all these, and so he says there's gut dysbiosis and toxicity and immune dysregulation, and then uh, for my own research, I threw a few more in there. I threw uh, inflammation and hormonal imbalances and also nutritional deficiencies in there. So I, I would say that there are six key core common roots to really just about any kind of chronic disease or disorder. And it just depends on what level of toxicity that person has had, what kind of environmental exposure, what their family history is like. It's not the genetics like everybody wants to talk about. That really only accounts about 5% of any kind of disease. It's what we call the epigenetics, which are the environmental exposures, your your dietary exposures, your emotional health, your spiritual health, how all of that affects your genes. So it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting work. So what I did was I wanted to help other parents and also practitioners because I, I realized um, most of the practitioners that I was dealing with did not have all the pieces of the puzzle. They would have one piece, but they wouldn't. They weren't really looking at the other pieces of the puzzle. So I thought I could sort of help everybody out and have them understand the whole picture, at least the way that I saw it. So that's where my book came from. Uh, it was just published two months ago. It's called Almost Autism, Recovering Children from Sensory Processing Disorder, a reference for parents and practitioners. And it became a bestseller on Amazon pretty quickly after that. I'm really excited about that. I, I'm blown away with your success that you got it up to a bestseller in two months. Yeah. I need some tips yeah. from you, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just amazing, really. I I don't know of anybody that's hit that status with their book. I've known people that have risen up very quickly, but they had – some humongous help from some big sources, you know, like winning Oprah contest or something like that. But, oh, uh, but that you know, they nice. did not hit bestseller like you did. So I'm very, very impressed with that. And Thank you. you know, you, you mentioned those six things and, you know, I, I think most of us could sit around going, Oh yeah. Inflammation. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, this right. Oh yeah. That factor. And, you know, I myself am sitting here going, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know. Um, right. These things make total sense to me. And, and you know, as I looked at it, of course, my niece um, deals with dyslexia. But it goes hand in hand with this because when I looked up some of the, the basic, you know, symptoms that go with the sensory processing disorder, she dealt with a lot of those as well. Which is that yep. that hypersensitivity? I mean, she—it was literally—it would hurt for her to have her yep. hair cut when she was younger. It yep. would hurt to have yep. her head, give her hair brushed. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and she does. She has that sensitivity to high sensitivity to temperature. Like she, she's literally allergic to scent. Right. 
she and her right. body reacting yeah. around some. Um, right. So, yeah, there's so many of these pieces that I think most of us would say, oh, my gosh, this is me. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is me. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't right. matter no, if you have um, dyslexia, you know, which I look at as a neurodevelopmental disorder, just like autism or ADHD or sensory processing disorder, or Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis or Lyme or lupus or fibromyalgia or Alzheimer's. It's really the same sort of core key issues. And if you look around, you really search, you'll find that there are people who have recovered themselves from all of those from all of those diseases. I have a friend from high school who's recovered himself from young onset Parkinson's with the same sort of thing. Not that he really knew, you know, all these things, but basically eating a clean diet is a big core key piece of all this, right? Um, well, but, you know, people I'll have recovered themselves. I'll, I'll vouch for that because I was dealing uh, for a while with lapsing, relapsing, you know, I guess they say it never goes away, multiple sclerosis. And mm-hmm. through diet and nutrition, I have, you know, knock on wood, not had a symptom in, <laughs> like, I don't know, 17 years. Wow, that's a long time. Something that's like awesome. that, 16, 17 years, something along those lines. Um, right. Doesn't mean that I didn't deal with some other things along the way here and there, but I, I'll vouch for that, as well as hypothyroidism, right. as well as uh, insulin resistance. Took myself off of all those medications through diet, wow, and nutrition. That's fantastic. That's such a great story. I love it. I love yeah. recovery stories. I mean, managed recovery, sure, but you're not on pharmaceuticals for it. It's like you know, I'd rather eat my medication through you know green juices and <laughs> healthy food, right? It's so much better it's for so you. It's so much cheaper than the pill. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Tastier too, right? <laughs> much better. Um, I'd, have I'd you rather heard, eat than take a of, pill. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Have you heard of Dr. Terry Walls? Uh, the name sounds familiar to me. So she is a doctor in Iowa, and she has a YouTube video. Her last name is W-A-H-L-S, and she's recovered herself from, I believe she calls it remitting, relapsing multiple sclerosis. It was like a really severe stage of it where she had to be in a reclining wheelchair. She she couldn't walk. It was just so painful. She just had to lie down. And she went to the Cleveland Clinic. She went to all these famous hospitals, and nobody could help her. They're just like, well, that's it. You know, Sorry. And she looked into yeah. it, and she changed her diet. She basically went on a paleo diet, and um, she recovered herself. And so she, now she's, like, running and riding bikes and riding horses and, like, yeah. It's a, it's a great – it's a TEDx talk back when TEDx was actually endorsing those kinds of things. They don't anymore, which oh. is really kind of upsetting mm-hmm. to me <laughs> because it falls outside <laughs> of their purview is what they're saying. Um, that they can't condone it, but I think it's a fabulous story, and it's still out there, so people can um, take a look at that one. I, it it is to be that far. I wasn't that far gone, but I definitely was spending two to three hours getting out of bed in the morning because I couldn't mm. feel my legs because I couldn't see past the end of my bed. So wow. I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't stand up until I got the feeling mm-hmm. in my legs. So right, yeah, it's a and and it would feel like. I know for me, it would feel like somebody took a baseball bat up and down my spine mm-hmm. when I was getting an episode. Yeah. So yeah. uh, these 
these things are are intense. What are we mentioned a few things um, that people experience as far as symptoms um, when they're dealing with the sensory processing disorder. What what are some other things? Because there's a lot of very common symptoms with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so you have what are called sensory avoiders, like my boys were. Um, like I was saying, they avoid uh, bright lights and loud sounds and, you know, uh, a lot of motion, those kinds of things. And then you'll have what are called sensory seekers, and they need the sensory input. And so, and then you can also have kids that are sort of both. So sensory seekers are typically the kids that will be crashing into things because they need the sensation or they'll be a little too physical with things or they'll, (laughs) almost like a party animal, right? They like the music really loud and the lights really bright, that kind of thing. But it can be really disruptive to have that kind of child in the classroom. And uh, I think we're all sort of quick to judge that child's behavior and to say they're a bad child when it's really we have to learn what the behavior is telling us about the child, that there may be some sort of imbalance that's going on underneath that needs to be addressed. Yes, let's let's just make it clear, regardless of what the doctors tell you, if you have a child banging their head against the wall, it's not normal. Mm-hmm. They need something adjusted. <laughs> right, right. Even I mean, for our soul starseed kids, it's not normal. Right, or a lot of these kids, you'll find them um, sort of lying down across the edge of the sofa or on a chair or a table or something like that, like pressing their bellies up to something, and that's because of the gut dysbiosis that's going on underneath. They have a lot of pain in their bellies, typically, that's not being addressed. They'll have bloated bellies, and that's their way. They don't know that anything is different. They just know that it hurts, and they don't know that it shouldn't be that way. And so they're just trying to relieve the pain. And so that strange behavior that your child has may be a way of them telling you that something is wrong with them. So we need to look at what those symptoms are and behaviors are. Well, that's a good thing. I mean, some of these behaviors, because a lot of these kids, they won't say anything. Like I know my niece wouldn't say things. You know, or it wouldn't sound like it was out of the normal, for example. It might be, I don't feel well. I've got a stomachache or, you know, things that that sound very, very basic to a parent. Right, and they get sort of pushed aside and, and, you know, or maybe medicated, right? So, and um, which is... Yeah, uh, what I'm not an advocate. I used to medicate my children. Don't get me wrong. I used to give them everything, like I was told to by the doctors. But now I, I cringe when I think about that because I'm thinking those were symptoms and signs that something was wrong. And you know, I'm glad I finally listened to what those signs and those red flags were trying to tell me because they're so much better now. Well. And, and your gut instinct to stay in there, and, and every parent has that if they're listening to it, is, is that intuition right. that says something is is not quite right. I might not know what it is. And fortunately, mm-hmm. thanks to some people like yourself um, who pursued and persisted along the way, somebody had to, to pioneer it, so to say. Uh, it's mm-hmm. getting easier and easier for other parents because I noticed now versus, say, two years ago when I went in and searched 
for example, sensory processing disorder. There's a whole bunch of stuff out there now. Uh, right. Which wasn't there even just two years ago, for example. Right, uh, right. In there. So I have to think that your efforts and, and things that you're doing have certainly contributed to that coming around, uh, you know, in this society. I think I think parents and people in general and maybe even practitioners too are just sort of getting to the tipping point of where they're understanding that there are underlying issues that need to be addressed. And so people are actually starting to think about these kinds of things and because of social media, it's <laughs> thank God for social media, right? That's how we connect with um, with people, like-minded people, right? Because if you're in your own community... Uh, you feel very isolated, and nobody seems to be going through what you're going through, even though a lot of people are. They're just not talking about it. Um, and so it's really been a lifesaver for a lot of people out there. It's It's been great. Well, and that's true, and that's how the spiritual community has, you know, developed up and people have figured some things out is because they've sat there and said, is anybody else experiencing this right now? And pretty soon you've got, you know, 50, 100 people that step forward and go, yeah, I'm going through that right now, too. And and it takes yeah. it takes those simple things. Now, you know, I know that there's probably um, some parents out there that are going or people out there that are going, okay, yeah, so you, you've got these kids and now they need to be on this diet <laughs> or this nutritional mm-hmm. plan, let's say that. Um mm-hmm. And or I've got to get onto this nutritional plan because you know what's happening in my body or what's happening in their body, and you know how am I going to now get these kids to eat healthy all of a sudden? How am I going to right. you know make this the switch so that they're going? Oh yeah, give me you know give me that leafy green salad over the donut. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what that's what I do now as a health coach. I'm a health coach now, and so I actually help parents make those diet and lifestyle changes for their kids. But I will say it's, um, you know, no kid is actually going to the store and buying those foods for themselves. It's the parents that are doing that. So the parents are in control. And I used to be one of those parents too. Um, my kids used to eat macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets and french fries and, you know, all those typical American foods, and now they eat you know, lots of whole food and lots of green leafy vegetables. So it can be done. It's a process and you take one step at a time. Um, you know, it, it's just a little bit, you know, work in something. I try to uh, have people work in things first to crowd out the things that might not be as good first because if you're trying to take everything away, then it can be sort of like a drug addict <laughs> having withdrawals. <laughs> And you might be getting some nasty behaviors coming from that. And uh, if you can get your kids involved in the process, too, that's great, especially if they're a little bit older and they can help out in the kitchen. That's a great way for them to become invested in it and to have fun. So I've actually taken cooking classes with my sons. Um, I live about an hour outside of New York City, and we've gone to the Natural Gourmet Institute there, which was founded by Anne-Marie Colbin, and I love it. It's a... it's a cooking school based on health supportive cooking. And if anybody is in the New York City area, I highly recommend it. They have lots of public classes for all sorts of things like gluten free. I think most of their stuff is gluten free. Most of it is dairy free as well. 
but they'll also have focus on, say, like gluten-free baking or um, gluten-free, soy-free, egg-free, corn-free, soy-free baking or uh, gluten-free boot camp. Or, and then they'll have like uh, all sorts of ethnic, you know, like Thai food or Indian food or whatever on top of that. So it's really a lot of fun. And they have one for kids. They have some for kids every now and then. And then I took the kids a few months ago, and it was it was great. They really enjoyed it. I'm glad that you brought that up because there are so many cooking schools out there, and I know that there's some great ones up in the Napa Valley region in California, for example. And but they're yeah. all of the U.S. I know there's some great ones in uh, the New Orleans area. I noticed that when mm-hmm. I passed through. They're all over the place, and uh, you know, matter of fact, I think anywhere Top Chef goes, which is San Antonio, New Orleans, and any other place, mm-hmm. we've been, there's there's mm-hmm. a fantastic cooking school that is looking at these different eating lifestyles. And mm-hmm. I mean, you get down to it. Uh, let's face it. I'm broadcasting from a Starbucks tonight. Even Starbucks will offer different options. You know, um, I right. noticed some places will even offer almond milk. It's not just soy milk as an option, which I'm not really fond of myself um, right. for various reasons with the hormonal stuff. But um, but they'll offer, you know, more and more of them are getting into these little coffee shops offering coconut milk or almond milk mm-hmm. as options for your drink, uh, That's right. which I love. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I love Chipotle, that. right? Chipotle, and yeah. I don't know if you saw, but I used to work on Wall Street, right? I used to be in equity research um, on Wall Street, and I used to cover the oil services sector and then the gaming, lodging, and leisure sectors. But I, I still read the Wall Street Journal, and I still pay attention to what's going on in the financial markets. And I don't know if you saw it, but McDonald's actually had a down quarter that they just reported. And they're facing so much competition from sort of really their own company because I believe Chipotle was a spinoff from them. And Chipotle is great because it's sort of like an a la carte thing where you can go in and you can get those special items. So if you can't eat dairy then it's no problem. You just don't get the cheese on it. <laughs> or if you can't eat meat, that's okay. You just get the one with the beans on it, right? Everything is just – and you can pick and choose what you want. And um, that they're, they're saying that that's why McDonald's is not doing as well. Well, and I think as more and more people are having issues, they're going, I'm not going to eat there. And there's so many healthy options mm-hmm. out there now uh, that are that are amazing. And I, I love that you brought in involving your kids in the cooking process because I know uh, I know like with my niece and with other kids that I've known that have dealt with various things, getting them involved in the cooking process helps in multiple ways because these kids have a strong need for creativity and cooking gives them that creative sense that it, it allows them to uh, put together different flavors because their mind works in these little different ways. They oftentimes can come up with combinations that traditionally we would not think of uh, blending mm-hmm. together, pulling together and things. And I've often wondered, you know, maybe we need to just start presenting things a little bit different, saying, you know, this is your happy food as opposed to this is your healthy, necessarily packed with vitamin food, which, you know, is good for some people, but, you know, mm-hmm. some people, some kids might respond to it, you know, okay, if you're not, if your tummy's hurting, this is your make your tummy feel better food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah. And I think too yeah. when we go to the really organic whole foods, and I noticed this being on the road, 
And there's a huge difference between, for example, the East Coast and the West Coast. I picked up apple cider on both coasts, and it turned out to when I re-looked at the label because I didn't have a chance to fully look at it when I purchased it on the West Coast, and and I re-looked at it, and it wasn't even actually apple cider. I was like, oh my gosh, what did really? I buy here? Yeah, really? it wasn't even apple cider. It was like, and they were putting like, you know, garbage in there. I won't even get into it. <laughs> they were putting garbage in there, whereas you know. Uh, that east, you go and you buy apple cider, and it's made from apples, and it's you know it's wow. apple cider, and there it's like apples and water, and you know. It's, Wait, was um, this Whole Foods? Was this Whole Foods? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a small, uh, small mom and pop place. That okay. because uh, I like to go to the different you know little scams and things along the way, but I find yeah. that most of the time when you do get to the organic, uh, whole food. Um, eating that the flavors are so much better, and most kids yeah. have not been exposed to that. So our taste buds right. kind of get numbed out. I would say numbed out uh, from the processed right. foods, those heavily fried, greasy foods. Um, mm-hmm. But then you put well, something the, like that on your palate, and, the and it's like, wow. Yeah, there there are flavor it's, enhancers it's, that are put in there that I read about in the book, and it's they're put in there on purpose to make the brain addicted to those kinds of flavors. And so, yeah, you're, you know, whole healthy, whole fresh healthy food is not really able to compete so much with that, you know, on the taste basis. Because if you're eating Doritos and you're getting a kick out of the MSG that's in there, it's actually frying your brain and killing all the cells. <laughs> but but uh, it's just not able to I'm compete. I'm more with, honest like, advertising. This will fry your brain and kill up your brain cells. <laughs> They have it lists monosodium glutamate right there on the label. I'm like, all righty then. You know, most of them will sort of hide it and say no MSG, but then they have something like hydrolyzed vegetable protein, which is essentially MSG, but you know, people don't recognize it as such, and it's still frying their brain. <laughs> At least to be honest about it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But I find usually so. the flavors are better right off of that organic food. That's my experience. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, can, I think really they are. If you get over that hump, it's sort of like if you've ever cut sugar out of your diet and then you try to eat it again, it's like everything is just way too sweet if you eat yeah. like that after you've cut it out. It's the same thing. It takes a while to retrain the palate to be able to get used to real flavor. So. It's it's not something that's done overnight because kids are just going to say, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> and especially the color. Well, and, it's green. <laughs> and and that's where the interesting thing where, you know, your Ayurvedic principles and your Indian spices and things come in because, you know, some mm-hmm. of those sauces can be so tantalizing to the taste buds um, mm-hmm. And very healing. You know, it doesn't feel like they're they're being deprived, um, right? With right. things, and 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 that's really an interesting piece in there. I think. Um, yeah. You know, there's so many te- ways to do it where they don't feel deprived. Right. And I, I, like every time I cook, I'm like always sticking vegetables and herbs <laughs> under my kids' noses. I'm like, okay, tell me what this is, because. What was it? It was Jamie Oliver in that show that he had a few years ago where he went to West Virginia 
and he's, you know, holding up things like tomatoes and potatoes, and these kids in the classroom could not tell him what those things are. I'm like, oh, that is sad. Nobody even knows what real food <laughs> looks like anymore. So, yeah, and, it, it, you know, smell the, smell the rosemary, smell the thyme, smell the oregano, those kinds of things, and, and just sort of get used to it and train their brains to know those flavors and those smells. It, it's, so, it's so true. I think we really got to have more you know, farm days, so to say, for the kids, because it, especially in the cities where you've got all the air pollution and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, your your sense of smell and sense of taste is, is kind of off from those things. And mm-hmm. uh, and we kind of forget, okay, what do we do with these, these different flavors and stuff? Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's very, I think it's very interesting. Um Talk with me a little bit more about, uh, you know, the role of nutrition in this. What types of diets are needed? You mentioned you mentioned gluten free. You mentioned um, going dairy free on things. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a really good place. Mm-hmm. Those are really good places to start. It might not be enough to get these um, kids recovered. Um, going gluten-free, dairy-free is a very good start because typically these kids have what are called leaky guts, and that's where um, the intestine actually has holes in it. Instead of the waste product being pooped out, some of it is actually recirculating into the body, and it's causing autoimmune reactions. And so typically you'll see these kids, they have sort of have like dark circles under their eyes, which are called allergic shiners, so they have runny noses or... Um, let's see, cradle cap or uh, red cheeks or red ears after eating, eczema, allergies, all those sorts of symptoms. Um, but what happens with those two foods is that they have the protein, so the gluten and the wheat and the barley and the rye and the non-gluten-free oats. And the, also the casein that's in dairy, and they can actually go to the brain and they activate the same centers that morphine does. And so these kids actually act like they're on drugs. And these kids will all of a sudden lose their focus. They could become irritable. They could also start having allergic reactions because of it. Uh, They can become very spacey. They're also, typically these kids are very constipated too, or they have chronic diarrhea, like one or the other, or both. It's really the same thing. And... um, so that's always a good start because it helps relieve some of those sensory symptoms, but it doesn't relieve what is called gut dysbiosis, and that's where you have an imbalance of the good gut flora that's in there versus the bad uh, parasites and pathogens and viruses and pathogenic bacteria. It's sort of like having a nice garden, then all of a sudden having weeds taking over it. So you have to get in there and take the weeds out and make sure that you're not giving any food that would feed the weeds. And the food that feeds the weeds are typically sugars and starches and grains. And the closer you are to the standard American diet where it's very heavily processed, the more likely you're going to be feeding those pathogens that are in the gut. And that's where they set up shop in the gut. So so that... Oh, go go right ahead. Finish your thoughts. Oh, so what What typically um, needs to happen at that point is some sort of gut healing diet 
So those are things like the GAPS diet, which is the gut and psychology syndrome diet, basically saying that the brain's behavior is based on what's happening in the gut. And or uh, also the, that one's based on the specific carbohydrate diet. And then uh, the paleo diet is another diet. Um, and then there's the body ecology diet. So those are the diets that could be used to go further to help relieve the gut dysbiosis. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to talk about those a little bit more in just a moment. Um, okay. But I know there's a lot of people out there, vegans and things, that are going, wait, wait, brain. <laughs> you mm-hmm. you mean my yeah. my whole barley, my you know my I can't have my barley, my oats, uh, my rye. Now I think of rye in particular because rye is oftentimes done with the sourdough culture. Is there a difference between, say, that that bread that has four ingredients in it that is organic rye, sourdough culture, you know, all all organic stuff versus, say, I go to the store and I buy rye bread, which is actually wheat bread. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you go, so I took a, a fermentation class at the Natural Gourmet Institute with Peter Burley, and he actually brought a sourdough starter there. And I I haven't heard from other people themselves, but he and other chefs that work there say that people who are typically gluten intolerant, possibly even celiacs, but definitely those that are gluten sensitive, can tolerate a, a traditional sourdough bread if it's done correctly. Not, you know, right. maybe not the kind that you get from the supermarket, but the kind if it's actually fermented <laughs> properly, right? I think people don't really understand, like, how their food is made so much anymore. But if it's made properly, then, yes, they might be able to handle it well. But, it, it again, it, it really just depends on the person. Yeah, because I've noticed that where as I started to heal my body a little bit more, I could go back to some of the ones that just literally had four or five ingredients in it were organic. Um, Mm -hmm. Still stayed away from the wheat factor, uh, but had the rye and had the the sourdough culture to it. And that strong sourdough culture, now oftentimes those breads are refrigerated. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I found one somewhere that was not, but, um, or sometimes you you will find those if you go into the European stores. Zaxby's they have a lot of Aldi markets which carry more European products, um, or uh, sometimes the World Market will carry some European products that have that type of thing, or mm-hmm. um, you know, or the health food stores is usually where I found that type of thing. And, and you talk about gluten. It's such a big thing because, you know, that has come out into such a huge phase and there's stuff out there all the time I've found, I don't know about you, that says, I'm gluten-free, I'm gluten-free, you know, and it's not. It's got multidextrin in it. It's got, yeah, yeah. you know, right. some other know. things yeah. that usually will trigger people who are even gluten-sensitive. And then I'm right. like, how can you guys say that this is gluten-free? It's like a whole junk in it. Yeah, because people don't understand that that comes from barley, right? So it's it's a tricky thing. And I always just say, you know, the more you can cook your own food, the better, because that way you know what's in it. If you can start with single ingredients, 
fresh ingredients, whole ingredients, then you're going to be a whole lot better off. And it's just going to taste so much better too. You're you're going to use like, you know, better cooking utensils. You're going to be cooking with love. You know, some people can say <laughs> that they can taste the love that goes into my food. You know, hopefully, <laughs> you know, hopefully the kids get that from it too. I don't know, but um, you know that. Plus, I'm just using better ingredients, so it's going to be a better nourishing food all the way around. So. But nobody cooks anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> and and I'll say, if you, go to Maria's, if you go to Maria's website, mariareichertsalm.com, she has some really great recipes on there, not to mention she has a really great um, cookbook as well that she put out. So check those out because <laughs> they're, they're really delicious yeah. looking on there. Yeah, free, free recipes on there. So. Um, they're all gluten-free. Most of them are dairy-free, or if it's not, I'll tell you how, how to substitute for it. Um, I also list whatever allergy is on there, potential allergen like eggs or nuts. Or um, I typically don't use soy unless it's like a tamari or something. Um, typically don't use corn either, so it's, it's mostly allergen-free. So, and it's a good place to start. And it'll tell you, like, which diet it's for. Like, this one's for the body ecology diet and the paleo diet. So, so let's dive into that a little bit. And, and how do these different diets really affect this autism or these allergies or things? Because I think people miss that connection. Like, in a sense, they're going, okay, I'm eating healthier, I'm eating better. And so I understand that piece of it. But mm-hmm. would it, it, it's got to actually be making some kind of shift in the brain or the physical body itself mm-hmm. as it's restoring itself and its cycles. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of key reasons for that. One is that, yes, the gut is connected to the brain. They call the gut the second brain, and that is where most of the neurotransmitters that you know work in the brain are actually made. They're actually made in the gut. So 95% of the serotonin is actually made in the gut. So if the gut isn't happy, then the brain isn't happy. So, no, you know, you typically do not see doctors talking about this. But you take a person who has depression or anxiety, typically they're low in serotonin. How many doctors do you know of that will sit there and say, let's take a look at your diet? You know, <laughs> maybe you've probably got some kind of gut dysbiosis going on so that you're not producing the neurotransmitters like you should be, right? Like how many people could be taking off of taking off of Prozac and Zoloft and, you know, those kinds of uh, SSRIs if we could just address what's going on with the gut. And then second of all is that um, autism is really looked at more as an autoimmune disease. There's neuroinflammation that's going on, and that's the – you know, when we're talking about the gut, you have to remember that uh, the gut is actually home to about 70% of the body's immune system. And so, again, if the gut is sort of tied up with dealing with some kind of chronic infection that's causing chronic inflammation, then it's not able to deal with any kind of other inflammation or infection that's going on in the body. And so it's just creating all sorts of havoc that's going on there. And then the third is that that's where most of the body's detoxification is going on. Like I said before, most of these kids are chronically constipated or they have chronic diarrhea. And if you have that, then you are not able to properly eliminate those toxins. 
and they are recirculating into the body and they're backing up. So that's so key. And so many people will say how much better they feel once they start cleaning out the gut and kids too, <laughs> you know, they start to see the sparkle back in their eyes. They don't have that dead look in their eyes anymore. Uh, they don't look like walking zombies or cadavers like a, a lot of people look like these days. And, um, you know, it's just really dealing with the gut. As Hippocrates said so long ago, you know, all disease is the gut is right. I I think that that's, um, that's such a huge thing and that I think that piece that the toxins recirculate in the body because of the leaky gut aspect is huge. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was just looking mm-hmm. up something. I was in this little health food store earlier today checking it out. And they were, you know, and I happened to pick up a book <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that was related. It connected all kinds of things that were going on in our body. Do you know right down to our sex drive and everything else, and um, and the big key that they were coming back to was the, the serotonin factor mm-hmm. uh, in there. And you know, as you mentioned, and and as this book was mentioning, the quick sugars that we get from the kind of snack foods, the so-called junk foods, raise that serotonin very quick, and then drop it off even further. Raise it up mm-hmm. quick, drop it off even further, and so the the key is. You know, it's kind of like the difference, you know, doing that on a natural level, the way you're talking about to raise the serotonin and actually then what we're doing is sealing up the gut in a way, if I'm correct in what you're saying, um, so that we don't get the same leakage constantly Mm -hmm. and the toxins constantly recirculating in our body. Mm -hmm. We clean it up in a a way that... um, it raises that serotonin naturally. So it's kind of the difference between gradual growth or, or gradual, consistent, ongoing satisfaction versus immediate gratification. Yeah, which are all sort of prone to these <laughs> days, this day and age, right? But they've shown that sugar is way more addictive than cocaine, and I believe it. It's like it is so hard to tell people that they're going to be, you know, eliminating sugar from their diet. It's It's like... Uh, you know, <laughs> a crack addict or something. I don't know. It's, it's really addictive. <laughs> no, no, and they sugar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I can't have that. There are ways. I'm not saying you gotta. You know, you can still have fruit. You know, and that's fine. That's that's got plenty of sugar in there. Um, but it's a more gradual release, and it's got a lot of antioxidants and phytonutrients that are in there that will help as well. But um, Trying to get people off the sugar, that's a really, really hard thing because so many people are addicted to it. I I love a good, a really good banana chip. I found some banana chips at Big Lots that are actually really good. They're really clean in what they have, and they use coconut oil as opposed to other fats and oils and stuff. And it's coconut oil. It's only a buck fifty for a package. Of them. Really? And it's like the wow. perfect stress food for me because, you know, when I want that other stuff, there's enough sweetness in it without it being all the mm-hmm. sugar. Uh, right, you know, without right, Without it right. being refined sugar. So it gives me enough mm-hmm. sweetness, but I also find that it, there's got to be some really great stuff in that in the sense that it always settles down my nausea. So I'm like, okay, there's there's something in 
you know, potassium or something when I'm traveling, that it settles all this mm-hmm. stuff down for me. And and not to mention mm-hmm. that it just gives me that crunchiness, you know, that crunchiness. Right, right, and, right. and Indian doors are a great place to go. When I was in San Antonio, I got directed to uh, an East Indian market, and I love mm-hmm. their markets. They're oftentimes very cost-effective, and they they have a banana chip there that's different than the sweet ones like we have, and it's more like mm-hmm. a chip. Uh, and and it's done with a a really spicy seasoning to it. Uh, you know, they use one of the spices. To, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it, there's different things like that. That sometimes just going there, you can find some of those substitutes because if people are kind of like me, I know sometimes I eat out of stress, or you mm-hmm. know, I'm pondering something, or I'm going down the road and I want to stay awake and I need some carbs right. or something right. like that. And so if I pick up some of those things, then I'm not damaging my diet, but I'm still giving my taste buds some of those sensations because I'm sure as a nutritionist, you've got a lot of suggestions that when we're craving sugar, we're actually looking for something else. When we're craving certain foods, it's Mm -hmm. actually a nutrient that our body is Mm -hmm. needing. That's typically if you're craving sugary foods or salty foods is the Tip sign that your adrenals need support. So, you know, you need that quick hit of energy that the sugar will give you because you're sort of tired, or you need a little perk or something, and it'll it'll snap you up for a little bit. But then it sends you on that blood sugar roller coaster, and pretty soon after that, you come crashing down because it's just sugar, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> and uh, I've been or in my words, poison. <laughs> yeah, poison. poison. It is a poison. It really is. Um, I've been hypoglycemic since at least a teenager, so somehow I sort of figured out on my own how to manage those blood sugar crashes, and I figured out that it was a combination of fat, fiber, and protein that really helped me out. And I don't eat sweets on an empty stomach because it'll just sort of, ugh, not a, not a good thing. And, uh, you know, make me shaky make my make me sweaty, um, I get very weak, very fatigued, like I just start shutting down. Like that is not a good thing. Not a good way to be. So um I can I can have sweets like after a meal, that's okay. But definitely not in between meals. So so let's jump up a little bit. You mentioned some different diets um or eating styles, let's say, um that work with the autism symptoms and the allergies and different things like that. Can you mm-hmm. give us a little bit of a brief overview of what those diets are? Because some people have heard of these things, some people haven't. You know, paleo is getting thrown around a whole lot these days, and there's paleo, and then there's paleo vegan, and then there's paleo <laughs> other things. Yeah. And so maybe you can kind of yeah. give us an overview of what those eating styles um, entail a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, paleo is definitely the one that's gotten the most press lately. Um, a lot of people have the misconception that people who eat paleo just eat a lot of meat, and hopefully that's not what they're doing. Uh, I would a true paleo diet is based on what you know, quote unquote, cavemen would eat. So at that time, grains were not being cultivated because that was only later when agriculture was introduced um, that grains became a part of the diet. And so a paleo diet has fresh fruits, 
fresh vegetables, meat, nuts, seeds. Um, and they get they get a little picky with some things, like sweet potatoes are okay, but white potatoes are not. So I don't really understand the logic there. But, you know, that's what they go with. And so just think of it as being very fresh, um, a very whole foods-based diet. And I would hope that that's how most people are eating anyway. Um, the GAPS and specific carbohydrate diets are similar to the paleo diets. You can have certain legumes on those diets, whereas on paleo diet you cannot have any legumes. Um, and then the body ecology diet is its own uh, animal that was developed by Donna Gates, and it is a, a beautiful diet, very well thought out, because she actually addresses adrenal fatigue and uh, hormone imbalances in there. Um, and you can eat certain grains, whereas on the other diets you cannot. So you can eat gluten-free grains on those on her diet, the body ecology diet, but you have to do food combining with it. So that gets a little bit tricky. So it sort of depends. <laughs> you know, just pick a place and start there and see how you do. Like, whichever one appeals to you most, which one you think you can pull off, start there. See how it goes for and, you. Try it for a while. Go ahead. And I think ethically for people, because there's some people out there that are like, okay, ethically there's just no way. I can't do dairy. I can't do meat. I got to mm-hmm. stick to greens and veggies because I, I, ethically I can't support the rest of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that's maybe where some of the like the paleo vegan comes in or something uh, with that, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely gets trickier because you're limiting more and more food groups when you do that, right? So it's going to uh, no. you're not going to be able to eat out very much <laughs> when you no, do that. Do, do nuts and seeds, I would classify those different than our grains. Do you group those together or do you separate those as well? No, they're, they're separate from grains, yeah, for sure. Although, you know, a lot of kids these days have intolerances to those or even outright allergies to those, so you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's definitely different things, and subtle things could create a, an allergy. You know, it's like you might look at something and go, oh, pumpkin seeds, gourd seeds, they're all the same things. Well, they might get a reaction to gourd seeds and not to pumpkin seeds or vice versa. Um, yeah, or they might this might not this one time, but, you know, five times later they might. It's just it's a tricky thing. So. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And, you know, I think, too, we have to keep in mind so many times in this society, especially in the bigger cities, we don't sit down and tend to have meals anymore and honoring the eating process from a psychology, right. psychology mental, emotional space, a, a spiritual space even. We are mm-hmm. on the go. We're grabbing something on the go. And I think this is another piece for us to keep in mind, which I would say plays hand-in-hand hand with what we're eating because... Mm-hmm. Our bodies, from you know, as far back as human bodies have existed, we didn't eat when we were running away from wild animals. <laughs> right, we didn't right, right, eat right, right. Under stress, but now we live these stressful lifestyles, and we're trying to eat, and our body's going, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing something different now. Don't bother right, me. Right. But we're not mm-hmm. listening, and we keep cramming that food down, 
does that type of thing add to the leaky gut yep. stuff? And, Absolutely. Yeah. Or intolerance. And there was a book written by Dr. Ellen Cutler who developed the bioset allergy elimination technique, although she now calls it the Ellen Cutler method. Um, and she says that she developed allergies or intolerances to every single kind of food out there except for green grapes. And she figured out it was because when she was a girl, her parents used to fight at the dinner table every single day. And she realized it was as she was eating those foods that she was sort of eating that emotional reaction that she was having. And her body uh, made the connection between that particular food and that emotional reaction to the point where she couldn't eat anything. So I guess she must have not been eating green grapes at the dinner table. That was the only thing that she could tolerate. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and that's an interesting thing. We forget about these pieces that come in, and we mentioned that earlier about the emotions when cooking. And, and I can't emphasize that enough because I myself have had food from people who just put so much love into their food, and my body responded so well to it and, and was – um, just really accepted it very, very well. And I've had people that even though the food was fairly balanced and reasonably healthy, it wasn't fantastic, but it was all right, mm-hmm. um, they're cooking, they put so much negative emotion into their right. food that I didn't feel good for days after eating. Right. And, right. and I Somebody knew their health practices, like I knew they just, off the food, so it wasn't like it had been sitting around or sitting out or any of that. It just, right. It was their emotion, and because and yep. I learned it because every time I went and ate with those people, I would feel sick afterwards. Right, <laughs> right, right. Had you been there when they were making the food, or you just happened to show up like after it was? I'm just curious. Oh, I've I've been there when they were making the food, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, and you noticed that they were not in a good mood, or well, by nature they tend to carry very negative attitudes and um, okay. things like that. So, you know, the personality type, and so, and yes, there were times that I definitely saw where they would get angry or upset when they were cooking. Right, and you know. Um... The health coach school that I went to, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, the founder is Joshua Rosenthal, and he talks about that. He's like, you ever notice when you go into a restaurant and all the kitchen workers are yelling and screaming at each other that the food just doesn't taste as good? <laughs> Get up and you walk out because your food yeah, you not settle no matter what it is. Yeah. First of all, and, go in and, and ask how they're having their day. Are they having a good day before they prepare your mm-hmm. food? <laughs> Right, right. I know. Um, the unfortunate thing is that you know most people just aren't as sensitive as you are to those kinds of things. So you'll just get sort of dismissed when you mention that to most people, right? They're like, "Well, oh, you're just making that up. It's just all in your head." But it's not. You're just very sensitive. And so, a lot of these kids that I deal with, they're very, very sensitive, just like you are to these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so that does make a big difference to what you're doing and how they're how they're well, fed. I- I bring that up because I think parents need to be aware of that because we do have these spiritual soul star seed groupings coming in and they are more mm-hmm. sensitive. 
They're more sensitive mm-hmm. on all kinds of levels. And uh, so these kids are very easily affected. And that's why, hey, you know, parents or whoever, if you're picking, even if you're picking for your sweetheart, you know, stop, take five minutes, tune in to the love and the passion and let that go into your food instead of that stressful argument you had with your boss or something else. Right. And, right. You know, and, and take that moment. It, it takes 30 seconds, a minute to breathe and get your body relaxed uh, before you start in and clear your mind and say, what do I really want to give this person I'm cooking for? What do I want to give myself when I'm cooking? Mm-hmm. And I used to do that. I used to, uh, when I would cook, while I still had a place to cook from, <laughs> I would, mm-hmm. you know, I would sit there and go, what do I want to give myself today? You know, what what emotion would I like to give myself? And I noticed that I was really stressed and, for example, worried about finances, and I cooked a meal that anxiety would just increase. Whereas if I cooked a meal and said, you know, I'm really going to indulge in this. This is this is healthy. This is magnificent. And, you know, I would turn it around and, and my mind would be clear. And, you know, I'd have plenty of energy to keep going for a few hours. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I bring it up because I think we are seeing generations that are like this. And it's it's a, it's one more piece for us to be aware of and what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although a lot of people, I think, would sort of look at it and just become overwhelmed by the thought of that. Like, oh, great, <laughs> one more thing that I've got to worry about now. Thanks. <laughs> As if there well, isn't enough. And I used to be one of those, too, right? I used to take my Lean Cuisine dinners and throw them in the microwave and think I was being healthy. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. those days. <laughs> but yeah. I think, too, I think, too, actually, when we look at it, this is where, like, my work, where it's integrated work, and it's brought into everyday life, it doesn't have to become a bigger deal. Imagine if you took five minutes to do this before you cooked your meal, hey, you've gotten your five minutes of meditation in that day. Now you don't have to worry about it. Whereas people are thinking, oh, I've got to do my meditation still, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. But no, take, take that five or ten minutes before you cook the meal, and then cook it, or then prepare it. Um, and you've gotten it all done, <laughs> all in one little thing, you know, all in a few right. minutes. Right, right, yeah. So, I, just, I just try to cook, like, in big batches, right, so I just make it easier. And, and that's another way to go, too, you know, that day that you're feeling good. Take that one day to honor it when you know mm-hmm. you can feel good, you can be relaxed. And, uh, I, I used to do that. I used to fix things for the week. And I would take one day that I had off and, and set it up. And then you're more relaxed, and, of course, that's going in your food. So when you have those hectic days, you can pull it out, and then you're ingesting all that great energy and vibration. Um, right, right. Yeah, so, that's what so everything is, ultimately. Maria, <laughs> um, yeah. you are media director for a project called Documenting Hope. What is that all about? Mm-hmm. The Documenting Hope Project is going to be taking 14 children with seven different diagnoses, autism, ADHD, allergies, asthma, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and mood disorders. And we're going to be having these children in five different geographic locations in the U.S. and having them work with integrative health practitioners 
and they're each each family is going to get their own health coach. They're going to get clean, healthy food, um, and they're going to have a medical supervisor working with them as well to address the underlying issues, the six underlying issues that I was talking about, and to show that recovery is possible. We're not going to guarantee it, but there's a very strong likelihood that given those uh, circumstances that all of those children would improve somewhat, you know, if if not fully. It just depends, you know, sometimes that's not enough time. But there's a good chance that 18 months would be able to show significant improvement in these children. And um, we just want to show that recovery is possible and it's not, not going to happen with medication. We're not saying, you know, let's march and raise money for the cure because there is no genetic cure for anything because it's not the genes that are causing this. It's what's being done to the genes. It's the environmental toxins and the genetically modified food and um, all sorts of different things that are just creating this perfect storm like antibiotics and overuse of pharmaceuticals, especially Tylenol. Tylenol is the worst. Um, Which I write about all these different separate issues in my book. And to show that recovery is possible because most people don't know it. Most doctors don't even know it. Most pediatricians don't know it. So we just want to spread the message of hope. <laughs> and we're going to document it. So it's going to be very rigorously documented. Um, I believe that we're partnering with the Open Medicine Institute. And it is an open access uh, technology platform where we're going to be uh, tracking all these different criteria, lab tests, you name it, it's going to be documented um, and hopefully have some sort of study that will sort of follow along with it. And I and really wanted to bring that out because, because I know there's so many parents out there and I think that this is important for them to follow or to connect with you about. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was going to say we've got a fantastic trailer. If you go to the documentinghope.com website, there's a seven-minute trailer on there that will show you some really tear-jerker stories of families that have recovered their children. And so you can see what these kids were like before they were recovered and then after. And it's it's like jaw-dropping, I think, for a lot of people because most people just don't know that this is possible. Do they take the three-year-old kids? <laughs> Do they? How well? No, no. Uh, ages are from two to sixteen. Sorry, sixteen is the upper age limit because I know. Sorry, uh, because you know, given that it's going to be an eighteen-month uh, program, you know, some of these kids could technically age out and say that they don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I know, that would be nice, right? But but we're going to be documenting so you can sort of follow along with the best practices. You know, give, you know again, everybody's different. So what, what worked for one child may not be what would work for you, but there are some basic general concepts, like the six things that I was talking about, like getting rid of the toxicity, getting rid of the gut, getting rid of the gut dysbiosis, those sorts of things that would help just about anybody, right? So, okay. So your your book, almost autism. Uh, what are people going to find in that book? 
I go, great. You know, I love what you're talking about. You're bringing up a lot of good points. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get it. I'm, I, I've got kids that are dealing with this. I feel like I need to take a look at this. What are they going to find when they go pick up your book? A lot of people have told me that it is very eye-opening and it is mind-blowing because what I do is I make the connections for them and I help them to see why this is happening and how all these things are connected. So when I talk about a child who has sensory processing disorder, I also sort of point out that these are the same cases as in children with learning disabilities like your niece or ADHD or autism or even further, like asthma, allergies, autoimmune, those sorts of things. Um, So I try to make those connections for you and have parents understand that like in cases of my children, they had sensory processing disorder, but they also had failure to thrive. They had hypotonia, mitochondrial dysfunction, methylation defects, um, acid reflux, eczema, uh, chronic constipation, um, you know, all sorts of different things that, you know, it may turn on that light bulb in a parent's head and go, oh, I never thought about you know, this issue with my child having anxiety being related to him also having sensory part processing disorder when it's actually part and parcel of what is sensory processing disorder and how it's controlled by diet and how it's controlled by stress and how it con- controls inflammation as well and how all those things are interconnected. And so what I do is I teach parents how reducing stress is actually the number one key to recovery, and so I go through all different ways of reducing stress, and you know, mindfulness, meditation, yoga. Yes, those are things, but I'm also talking about toxicity. You know, the stress of toxicity, or the stress of you know, negative emotions, the trapped emotions, those sorts of things. Um, the stress of chronic uh, inflammation, the stress of being exposed to foods that are causing. Uh, inflammatory responses and allergic responses. That's another sort of stress that's huge for a lot of kids these days. So taking taking it apart and just showing parents that these things are all connected and trying to make those connections for people. And so I labeled the book as almost autism and sensory processing disorder. But it could really I could almost just take that title off and throw on so many different titles, and you would you had to sort of change the words. And it would be sort of the same thing, right? So um, I think they'll get a real eye-opening um, view of the world when they look at it. And um, I had to tone down my writing because when I first wrote it, I was very, very angry at a lot of doctors and a lot of practitioners like, why don't they know this? Why are they being so condescending to me? And then I realized that in order to change things, I was going to have to have to soften my stance so that I didn't piss them off initially because <laughs> if I piss well, somebody off they want to pay attention to me and they're not, not going to understand or read or want to read the message so and, and as much as I would love every doctor to have one of your books <laughs> in yeah. hand I have to know that even going through my own things like when I was dealing with breathing disorders and people were People were like, no, it's all in your head. And I'm like, no, I'm going into the emergency ward because I can't breathe and I'm mm-hmm. not a complainer. And mm-hmm. I could, I spent, 
I spent years, like when I had tons of surgery years ago, two years trying to get doctors to listen to me, only to find mm-hmm. finally a doctor who did listen to me and said, oh, well, there's no medical reason for you to be alive. You should have been dead years ago. Thanks. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and do you think I've been trying to get somebody to listen? And and I did fortunately have two doctors that were very good about nutrition and would listen to me about these things. And so, you know, that persistence does pay off. If you have a doctor that's not listening, go to somebody else and just keep trying. Right. I think right. until you find that doctor that listens to you um, in there because and, – and we – we don't want to just completely write on them because uh, really a big piece of things there as well is that, you know, these doctors have so many different things. They're dealing with malpractice issues. Um, they're so used to people who are coming in who don't want to help themselves. Workplace reality. Right. They're used to the yeah. bulk of their patients coming in saying, give me a pill and make me feel mm-hmm. better and let me go home and that's all I want to do. So, right. you know, we can't completely come down on them from that aspect, although, mm-hmm. you know, when I look at the ethical aspects, I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> I can come down yeah. on your heart. <laughs> but yeah. I think, too, paying attention because, again, this isn't just children. This is adults. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who are intuitively sensitive, and they can't handle crowds, for example. And they may be mm-hmm. dealing with some of the sensory processing disorder. I, I yep. feel like that is yep. there. And I think a lot of the kids that we have been diagnosed over the year as bipolar, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're oftentimes told you're bipolar because you're having these emotional, emotional swings. Well, having worked with troubled teens a little bit or worked with a facility that dealt with troubled teens, and they would oftentimes diagnose them as bipolar. Well, of course, that allows them to submit things through the insurance company so they can be treated. But right. when I look at... But they put on heavy medication. Talking, yeah. And then when I look at what you're talking about, it's like, no, they're both. They alternate between avoiding and seeking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're or, not necessarily you know, bipolar. They're, they're alternating there. And how many of these kids that have these, you know, these troubled teens, have nutritional deficiencies or hormonal imbalances that just aren't being addressed and they yeah. continue to eat horribly deficient school lunches yeah. and it's just compounding the situation and it, it frightens me a lot to think about that and where society is going and so um, I'm hoping that my book can make a change, a positive <laughs> change and open people's minds to understand that those issues uh, can be addressed. We don't need to be medicating these kids so aggressively. Um, And what I really hope is to empower parents because I want parents to know that the the power lies within them. It's not outside of them. Um, Too long we have given our power away to, to other people that we believe deserve our power. And I, I want parents to take that back and to listen to their own intuition, to listen to their gut, and to know um, you are the best parent for that child. There's nobody else that can do a better job than you can. And you really, it's going to serve you and your child very well to listen to that that voice inside of you that tells you that something's wrong and that you need to do something about it. 
I think that you could create some really fun stuff with kids, actually, in this, because a lot of the kids that deal with this, I notice, you know, children, they're extremely brilliant. They they have hugely great minds, and they um, are very good with patterns and numbers. Yeah. And formulas. Yeah, they're very left-brained. Chemistry. Yeah. Very left-brained. And, and chemistry yeah. things. And mm-hmm. challenge them to create healthy meals that taste good. Say, okay, it's got to have these components in it. You can create whatever you want, but it's got to have these components in it. And I challenge mm-hmm. you to make it taste good. And that mm-hmm. could maybe get them proactive in their own process. I think the challenge is actually putting the heart back in to these kids who are very left-brained. I think we, you and I were talking about this before. I'm trying to remember um, when we <laughs> met in Connecticut. Met. Yeah. Yeah, right? So we want to get the heart back into it and um, to try to connect these children, both the left brain and the right brain. And, you know, <laughs> that, that could really make a huge difference. But I think that I think that bringing the heart into it, it's, it's a couple of different angles because, as you mentioned, empowering these kids. When they take mm-hmm. hold and they get a challenge because they love a good challenge that they know they can overcome. So I'm thinking like seasonings and spices. It's like chemistry. It's a form of chemistry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. formulas, things like that. And putting the food things together is like that for them. So it empowers them to be able to eat the way they want but to do it in a way that's amazing and tasty. And let's face it, some of this, this generation is exactly what's creating the health food that does taste good out there, mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. example. And and bringing that part in, I feel like when they tap into their creative side, which is what they're doing through some of these processes, uh, and they're getting the foods that they need, that helps to move them into the heart space because – it gets them out of the stress. It gets them out of the anxiety. It gets them out of the um, the sensitivity extremes. And when they do that, now they can be in their heart because I've seen that with friends of mine who are um, autistic. They have autism. Amazing with the way they can, you know, break things down and put them back together again in their brain. They're really great at that deconstruction thing. Um, but when they when they're eating healthy and when they have something together there, the heart comes out naturally. They're naturally extraordinarily caring people when they're in a good balance state. Mm-hmm. But it takes the good diet <laughs> and it takes the it feeling empowered for them to be in that state. Yeah, and and like you were saying, reducing anxiety. And I actually spent quite a bit of the book uh, on that subject, just how much anxiety is is really just a part of these disorders and how much stress that causes to the body. And you know how it is. If you're in an anxious state, there's no way that you can actually connect and center yourself. So how do you do that? Well, actually walk people through the, the process of how you can do that with food, how you can do it with supplementation, you know, all sorts of different ways that you can reduce anxiety naturally without medication. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. 
that's a beautiful thing. It's, it's amazing what food can do from us. We, you know, every mm-hmm. emotion on the spectrum can be brought out yeah. through yeah. through food. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it just truly is amazing what can happen. You know, Maria, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I want to reinforce your website being mariareichertstrong.com. People can catch your book right off that webpage. I've also added your book to uh, my page for products under my product tab. And so people can also find it there as well. Um, I believe I have your other book on there from when you were on before uh, as well in there. Any kind of closing thoughts that you want to provide people with or any particular thing you want to leave them with? Yeah, um, if if people want to go to my website, um, I do have a free guide there. It's called the, my top ten tips for recovery, and you, all you have to do is just put in your first name and email address, and uh, it'll get sent to you. But it's actually some really good, easy, you know, seemingly obvious things that can be done. But a lot of people, is, I, I'm really good at finding the obvious things that are sort of hidden in plain sight <laughs> and pointing them out to people. Are like, oh. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, there's some really good, easy tips in there. And if you just go to my website, you can sign up and, and get that. And that would be a great place to get you started. I, I think it's great. I know that personally when I've talked to different clients along the way, I, I send them to you because you're hands down when it comes to dealing with these types of disorders where I've, I've dealt with parents who are just totally frustrated with what to do. I'm like, you need to go talk to Maria. <laughs> just yeah. talk to her. She can work with you over the Internet. She can work with you by phone, whatever, you know, yeah. you need yeah. there. She'll be able to work with you. And she's, she's doing miracles, so <laughs> contact yeah. her. And, yeah, it's great. It's great because I can work with people from all over the world, right? So it's, um, it's a great age that we live in these days. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's just been such a pleasure to have you back on the show. And um, I was so thrilled when you told me you had your book out when I was there in Connecticut. And I'm like, oh, got to get her back on the show because this is, <laughs> it overlaps so many fields. And that's what people don't realize, I think, so many times. I say it over and over again. By the time it comes back as a physical um, ailment or disease or condition that's going on for us, um, you know, we've already ignored it multiple times. And a lot of these kids are coming in with so much now, different previous generations on a spiritual level, that it's almost such a shock that it hits them immediately. And the cause and the effect is much shorter now than it ever used to be going on. So we really do need to pay attention to this. And and it's such a a huge thing because I see so many, many, many people on this, both adults and children. Yeah, their their souls have really agreed to take on a huge burden, right? I mean, think of think of how brave they are to be agreeing to come in, knowing that this is what's going that the, this is what they're going to get into, right? That and, and they're showing us to come in. Yeah, as you said, volunteering to come in with these conditions just so we can find a solution, just so we can get more aware as a whole society. Right. Right. I mean, that's so brave of them to do that. And they are our teachers, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, Maria, for, for being on the show and, like I said, coming back and sharing your work with us. 
You're welcome. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you are very, very welcome. And moving forward here next week, actually the next two weeks, I, I'm putting together a two-part section uh, for the next two weeks on what is going to be coming up. And I'm going to be doing actually a, a little end-of-the-year wrap-up sort of thing with music, meditation, some messages. And we're going to be bringing up the music of different musicians that we've had on along the way. I'm going to be sharing some meditations. I'm going to be sharing some messages about things that are happening, uh, coming up. I'll be talking about the peace portal that's opening, coming up on the winter solstice, almost in an exact alignment to our winter solstice, which is happening on the 21st, um, as well as just pulling some little messages uh, for us to focus on for the year and, and doing some different things like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun in the next couple of weeks, a little more laid back, a little more relaxed, a little more sit back, tune in, and, and just uh, enjoy uh, yourselves a little bit. And again, my books on relationships have been released. You can find all of my books as well as my guest products uh, on my website, jessianmicholsgeorge, the number one dot com. And also 2015, man, it is coming up quick and I'm already setting up events for 2015. If you have a shop in your area that you would like me to come out to your area, you're more than welcome to send that to me. Um, you can email me, jesse at jesseannicholsgeorge, the number one dot com. And just go ahead and send, shoot me an email and say, hey, I got this great little spiritual store in my area, and I'd love to have you come into my area, and I'll be happy to contact the store owner, talk with them, and see if we can set something up. Uh, but events are getting booked rapidly. Like I said, I've already started setting up events with the first one starting January 4th in Bonneville, California at Ascension, and there will be other things around Southern California coming up in the first few months. Um, looking at various things everywhere from San Diego to the Los Angeles area, going out into kind of like um, uh, Agora Hills and Ojai and different places like that that we're looking at, and of course going back east and all across the country again. So definitely stay on top of that. Also on my blog or on my website, you'll find my blog, you'll find videos that I put out every month with a little text on them. Uh, that's all been released uh, recently on there, so you can you can check those out. Monthly specials that are going on right now. December special deal is two for one Nordic crystal grill, and this is really interesting work that I've just developed. Um, actually, it's based on stuff I've been doing pretty much in tune with all my life, but it's just now being released as a service. And what it is is I'm actually working with the Norse culture, the Nordic. Uh, philosophies and insights and working with runic symbols and personal affirmations done in Nordic ways and combining that with crystal gemstone grids uh, to do work for people and we can work on all kinds of things with those and uh, and then that blends in with quantum energy work so you can check that out on the main page of my website again George for number one dot com and I just want to remind you, we've got several shows here on Main Street Universe throughout the week, Sunday nights and sometimes Saturdays. Every now and then he shakes it up. But we have Darren Bouchere, who is a reader at Madame LeBeau in New Orleans, doing spiritual insights. Monday nights, we have Randy Goldberg doing Vedic Astrology, as well as some other things that he delves into. Tuesdays, Susan Weed is sharing her work in herbs and natural plants. Wednesday nights, we have Daniel and Janice on our flagship show, Main Street Universe. 
They've had some great guests on recently. They address different topics. Sometimes they're doing readings, all kinds of different things there. Um, Thursdays and Saturdays, we're kind of doing a roundtable of different things. Jim and Ashley Hash from Woven Green is doing a show once a month on there. So we're going to have these once a month shows coming on that are going to be really great. And, um, you know, including in that, I believe Kevin Baird is going to be coming back through with his uh, Walking on the Sidewalk, the Rising Oracle's Journeys, the deck he created. You can find that at templeofgaia.com. And then, of course, Fridays, Activating Compassion. And we're going to be holding the show at this same time for the next two weeks. So you can look forward to that. And um, and then we're going to be kind of shaking it up again a little bit. So Fridays at some time, <laughs> Activating Compassion Radio. Hey, this is Jesse and Nicholas George, and I want to thank you so much for being with us here. Again, thank you to all of our listeners, not only on Talk but those also streaming live through 10, known as Parent Counter Network, Screen Finder, and Talk Stream Live, as well as those catching our podcast at iTunes, TuneIn.com, and those catching the YouTube version of our show. I look forward to seeing you back here next week as we delve more into activating compassion. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed the show this evening, share it with others. It's going to be available at the same link in our archives. And I am going to leave you tonight with our closing song, Yearning For, also known as Over and Over. It's by Shemshaw. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on Activating Compassion Radio. May you enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a really, truly amazing week. And if I could see what makes me blind, I would soar to the edge of my mind. And to touch what seems unreal, just to show you the way that I feel. And we are in time with time, one with season of change inside. And we are in tune with the tune. Caught in a balance of sun and moon Oh, deep inside The light within Shining to show you It's it to begin When all I have Is all I need I will soar to the edge of eternity
Yeah. 